0: the truth news network a football quarterback takes a knee to thank the lord and is excoriated for it a football coach takes a knee on the field to give thanks and is fired firefighters at a denny's bow their heads before a meal and are told you can't do that here and a safety takes a hit on the field and just like that it's okay to pray Sometimes it takes a jolt to see the real truth, and it takes a guide to understand it. Your guide today is Dan Newman.
1: Let's face it. Every one of us are living in a different world, different from just two and a half, three years ago. Nobody can credibly make a case that the majority of the important things to Americans are gone. And let's hope they're gone only temporarily. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. It's Monday already. We're almost halfway through the month of June. And I don't know about you, where you live, but here in Louisiana, the humidity and the heat are back with a vengeance. And we're in the 90 degrees, sometimes low to middle 90, sometimes middle to just below 100 degrees. But when you factor in that humidity, Some days it feels like 110, and it's almost unbearable. Thankfully, (laughs) it's temporary. (laughs) That's what everybody that lives in the South thinks about. You know, it's sweltering here, but it's only temporary because fall is coming, and we really have begun the last 5, 10 years have real fall seasons in Louisiana. And I don't remember it being that way. I think I remember when we really only had three. You know, we did have winter to some degree. We had summer. And uh, every once in a while, we would have a spring. But we never had a fall. But we've been having fall. And I'm praying, let's get to fall. Let's get through some of this chaos in our lives that we're seeing play out every day outside of our control maybe we can get back to a time where you and i can make some of our own choices about some of those very important things to us so what do we have going on we have a really exciting thing to tell you this morning something that's one week away next monday june 19th dr judy mikovitz is going to be with us live for 2 hours now you rate you may remember her she was one of the first doctors to ever come out with any real information just before the beginning of our pandemic. We had already known COVID was here. And Dr. Anthony Fauci had just stepped up on the stage and he told us all kinds of things, but he didn't do that until late May, early June of 2021. Before Dr. Fauci took the stage, Dr. Judy Mikovits came on our show. And when I say she predicted everything that was going to happen, everything Fauci was going to say, everything he was going to push our government into forcing down our throats, every single thing she said, every single thing came true. And she has a great story to tell about her interactions through the years with Dr. Anthony Fauci. They actually worked together back in the 90s on AIDS. And other infectious diseases. And she just pulled the covers back way before most Americans realized there's just something not right with this guy, Fauci. And yet, Fauci changed the lives of millions of people in the US, millions of others around the world, many of whom had to assume room temperature because Fauciisms put them in the morgue. Now, that may sound cold, but it's absolutely true. So Dr. Judy Mikovits will be with us right at the beginning of the show next Monday morning, June 19th. I know you'll be excited to see that. Probably going to have Mike Johnson, Congressman Mike Johnson, on with us later this week as he's going to kind of peel back some of the layers of this insanity we're watching play out in Congress and elsewhere in D.C. And of course, today we're going to do a little bit of analysis on what former President Trump is facing. I've got some predictions for you. And just so you know this, my predictions in politics, they, every one, come true, at least so far. I haven't missed one yet. So we're going to talk about that. Now, let me just say this. There is so much chaos and confusion in all of our lives. Everything seems controversial now. I mean, this is the time of year normally every year where we're either already on vacation, gone somewhere, gone to the beach, gone to the mountains, gone to the islands, wherever your favorite place to go. Many of us at this time have already gone or we're getting really close to going and making our final plans. This year, nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what's safe to do. Well, I've got some specific news about healthcare nationwide, all mixed together with politics. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to tell you exactly what has already begun, not just with our government, the Biden administration, but with the World Health Organization that is going to impact every breathing person on the planet, every one of us. And so we're, with all this chaos around us and this misinterpretations of things and our government officials lying to us just with impunity, telling us things they know are not true, and they don't care if we find out they're true or not. Our government has been seizing power, taking power away from you and I, and now the impunity factor I just mentioned is proving they really don't care what we think. They don't care what we think they should do or not do. They're just going to do whatever it is they want to do. We got to get this stuff fixed. We've got to unify as a nation. I'm not talking about our government necessarily. I'm talking about we, the people. We are the ones that, with our votes, control who's in the government, local, state, and level. It's that way across the board. We need to get active as conservatives. If you look on the other side of the political spectrum, leftists, they have been and they are active. They're activists, radical in many, many cases. Conservatives, we've always been okay with just kind of standing by and pointing people to different things, but not getting loud, not being outspoken, that doesn't work anymore. We live in a nation where those with the loudest voices, I'm talking about individual, I'm talking about in politics, I'm talking about in big tech and media, whoever's got the biggest, loudest voice is the one that gets heard. And sadly, the one that is listened to and typically talk people into making changes. But you know what? Change is not always bad. And we live in an age right now where we, honestly, need to see some change in our nation. If um, if we just keep trucking along, it's not going to automatically just work out. But remember what we tell you here. You need a change? Nothing changes unless we change something to make the change go forward. Nothing changes if nothing changes.
2: Well, I got myself a T-shirt that says what I believe. I've got letters on my that Serves my eyes
1: Like the way things are going right now in your life? Well, you want some change? you got to change something in your life that has to change before things are going to change. So find it, whatever it is. Let me tell you what we as Americans, especially adults, what we need to understand is this. If things aren't going good in any area of our life, I don't care what area it is, we are the ones that feed into our lives all the things, all the input. Where does it come from? What's your source of information? What's your community, the people that you interact with and interface with? Who are those people? What are they speaking into your life, things that you're letting be seeded into your life? When things aren't working out for you, Something we all need to do is step back and objectively analyze our lives. Again, where and who are our influencers? We choose those things. Nobody comes into our life and makes us change things in our lives unless we voluntarily do it. So how do those things happen? We open doors. Television, internet, telephone, what you read, where you go, who you interact with, all of those are little bitty pieces that go into shaping our lives. And we choose all those things, every element that comes into our lives. We allow it. You know, by the way, the good things maybe that are out there that we don't let into our life, we control those too. I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to let the government make all my decisions for me and the government at every level local state and federal or uh, each of those governments are full of people they're foaming at the mouth to have that power to just make all the choices for every being in the United States it doesn't matter at what level government wants to make the choices for you let me give you a perfect example of that i found this over the weekend and it almost made me vomit. Have you heard of Assembly Bill 957 yet? It's out in California now. It's in the legislature there. This bill, if it's passed, and by the way, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has already said if it's passed, he'll sign it into law. Assembly Bill 957. It would classify if you don't affirm your child's gender Starting at kindergarten, think about this. If the parents of that child does not affirm that child's gender, the state is going to classify that as child abuse. State Representative Lori Wilson of California, here's what she said publicly. Affirming a child's gender is in their best interest. five-year-old kid um, I, I was born biologically a girl but I, I identify as a boy so I'm gonna I'm gonna be known I'm gonna reclassify myself as a boy. And if mom and dad don't agree with that, the state of California could take the custody of your child away from those parents. If passed, could see children pulled out of their house and they're gone from their family members what the state deems anti-lgbtq plus ideals rule if that can happen or not representative wilson who has a transgender son by the way said during a recent meeting that she thinks parents supporting their kids gender is in the best interest of the kid we should be affirming our children in every possible way, she said. And this bill was a last-minute addition to the family code bill. As every legislative group does, they like to pass bills, get really good meaty bills out there that most people like, and then throw a little amendment into it like this part of the this bill. It originally passed the California Assembly on May 3rd but it was amended on the 6th of June by State Senator Weiner. It will need to pass one more time with the new revisions. Under the revision to the Family Code, courts are going to be given complete authority to remove kids from their homes if the parents don't affirm their gender. The change would also make it so that schools, churches, and other organizations would need to affirm the gender identity of a child or face repercussions. This doesn't sound to you like government sticking their greasy little fingers way, way down in your business. Listen, we have three children that are grown. They've got kids of their own, our grandkids. We have six grandkids. I'm going to tell you, I'm Poppy in our family. Marianne is Nani. If our kids, our grandchildren's parents, if they prescribed to this philosophy... Nani and Poppy would be going absolutely stark raving crazy to reach into those lives of those six grandchildren and intervene in this. I can't even imagine an environment, any place in the United States or the world, where parents lose their kids because of the parents not agreeing with what a five or six or seven or eight or nine-year-old kid thinks about their gender. That, my friends, is a prescription to insanity. But it's already happening in California. I told Marianne about this this morning. We were having coffee early, and I told her about it. And I said, if you think people are fleeing from California now, wait if the legislature out there passes this and Gavin Newsom signs it into law. People will be storming out of California to get away from that. We've got to understand, this nation is under attack, not yet by any foreign foe. Those things are coming. You can book it as long as Democrats, this Democrat party, the one that has just gone stone cold far left, if they remain in power, will be destroyed by foreign military enemies. But even if that doesn't happen, the path we're on now, we're going to devour our nation and everybody in it from the inside with things like this happening. Little things turn into big things. One, Joe Biden put the left's progressive pride flag, which is topped by the pink and blue colors of transgender advocacy, he put it at the center of the White House for his pride celebration. Obviously, this is a pro transgender political display, and it prompted a bunch of complaints that he disrespected the red, white, and blue. Oh, glory, you know, the United States flag, which is the primary symbol of the nation's solidarity with its ordinary citizens. And he just kind of thumbed his nose at that. So that decision to center the controversial pink and blue edge progress pride flag, it reflects Democrats' need to goad young progressive voters into the voting booth coming up next year, 2024, Amid his economy of declining wages, rising rents, mortgage rates going through the roof, gasoline prices again back over $3. And of course, what comes with all of that? Expanding, ramping up, horrible civic chaos. His display at the White House in the speeches at the event. Gay progressives a distracting and uplifting 2024 role of supporting rights, not rights for everybody, like the Constitution says we, are, we have, and our Declaration of Independence said that's why we were declaring and beginning a new nation, equality, equal opportunity for everybody. He says, no, no, no. He's now supporting the rights of transgender people over everybody else. And by the way, Uncle Joe polls show today that you and me, regular Americans, we are increasingly across the nation opposed to the transgender ideology, which says, government should help young people solve their personal and social problems and do it by apparently changing their claimed sex, and the government wants to do that for them, take the kids away from mom and dad and do it for them and then take care of the kids for the rest of their lives. The opposition to this whole insane concept, that opposition is growing. Medical research exposes the dangers of debilitating and often irresistible transgender medical procedures. Think about it. They're talking about whacking off young girls' breasts and young boys' breasts. Sex organs. Five, six, seven years old? Do you think those kids are old enough to know what's best for them? These life-changing, irreversible things that their government wants to do? Many gays and lesbians themselves also oppose this progress pride flag because it suggests that the pink and blue cause of transgenderism is taking over their rainbow flag. <laughs> They're going after each other now. Of course, Biden's deputies, you know, the ones that are running the government, they quickly figured out that the political danger of their choice to place transgenderism and the gay flag for lesbians and gays above the nation's flag. So they posted a distorted view of the flag display on President Biden's Twitter account. Symbolism over substance. It doesn't matter what they say about the flag, what flag they hang up. I'm going to tell you this government, the Biden administration led by Joe Biden, cannot stand liberty and justice for all. They cannot stand the rule of law. They cannot stand the reality, the biological reality of gender. And because it's not politically correct to say there are only two sexes, male and female. They go crazy to run circles around the facts. You know, these are the people that told us you got to believe the science. And their infectious disease god, Anthony Fauci, made it very clear you got a question about anything to do with medicine or human lives, biology, anything like that. I am the truth. He actually said that in a White House briefing. I am the truth. So what he says is what the government does and what they believe, and they force it on everybody that is in the nation. One pro-transgender group, National Center for Transgender Equality, could not resist a temptation to broadcast their central place. Ash, they, he is the name of the Twitter handle says, truly honored to be representing trans West Virginias and at trans equality at the White House Pride event. Trans people belong, y'all. And then a few GOP politicians slam Joe Biden. Dr. Roger Marshall, at Roger Marshall, MD. This is a disgrace. Not only is it in breach of U.S. flag code, but it's a glaring example of this White House's incompetence and insistence on putting their social agenda ahead of our patriotism. Critics responded to Joe Biden's display of political loyalties and said it was a violation of U.S. law. Forget about the law thing, though, because pro-transgender activists argued that Biden's flag complied with the law because another U.S. flag was visible above the White House. (laughs) it not only violates the U.S. flag code, but also serves as a clear illustration of the current administration's incompetence and prioritization of their social agenda over patriotism. Brian Krasenstein tweeted this, if you're more alarmed by Disney and the White House flying LGBT flags, Or Crackle Barrel having a rainbow chair and showing that they support people from all walks of life, than you are with the Nazi flag flying Nazi flags outside the entrance of Disney World. And he continued, let me uh, pull it up. He continued by adding, then I think you have your priorities misaligned. Fighting love with hate is never a winning strategy, he said. Fighting inclusion with exclusion is never a winning strategy. Marginalizing people who empower others is never a winning strategy. Can we all just agree that the culture wars are going too far? Buddy, I am with you. (laughs) And this is just pure insanity pure insanity. We have so many things to talk to you about today. Oh my gosh. And the Trump indictment stuff. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it because it's going to play out for weeks and months to come. There's no question about it. And the things that we learned last week and the things we're learning this week about it are all going to change. But we're going to touch on a few of those. Megan Kelly is going to weigh in with some advice for us that is actually given first by our buddies at Sky News down in Australia. Megan's going to come tell tell us about that. Harris Faulkner, she actually brings in one of Trump's attorneys to talk about what's going on. So we have a lot of news, and then, of course, here you get a lot of opinion. And if you don't know me well yet, you know that I have an opinion on pretty much everything. We make it very clear here, our fundamental is... Just because you think something's right doesn't make it right, or the opposite it's true. if you don't if you think something's not right, doesn't make it not right. It goes either way. And we find facts. We believe facts and truth exist in a vacuum. Nobody owns facts. nobody owns the truth. We all have equal access to it, both under what? under, The law, not the law of the Joe Biden administration, the law of God, equal. We all are created in God's image. All means everybody. And nobody has any kind of right, God-given or government-given right, to tell somebody exactly what they are, what they can't be, and that they can get away with doing anything and everything they want just because they want to. It's deep here, folks. It's deep. We've got a big show today, and if you just joined us, Dr. Judy Mikevitz joins us next Monday morning. We were the first place she came when a five-year gag order was lifted from Dr. Fauci on Dr. Mikevitz that forbade her from talking to anybody. We were the first place she came to back in May of 2021, and she predicted everything that Fauci was going to do and say, wrong or right, and she told us all about the vaccines and what the evil and who it came through was going to be all about. And as we look back over the last two and a half years, that's exactly what happened. Dr. Mikevitz will be with us next Monday for two hours if that's how far she wants to go, there are also three movies that are out. I'm going to put the links today up on our tomorrow uh, up on the show. No, actually, we uh, we put TNN live every show up after the show was over. At the bottom of that, I'll put the links to three documentaries: Plandemic, Plandemic One, and Plandemic Two. And they are full, professionally produced documentaries. Before next Monday, every one of you need to watch those. They're full of facts and full of truth. And Dr. Mikeovitz, I don't know what her particular title was on the production of these, but she's figured in on a lot of things in these movies. So we got a full week. You've got a full week. And we have a lot that we've got to get to today. Sit tight. I pass through the trees.
3: I leave behind the mountains. I wave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV tech engine, leave behind a better world.
4: Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit orphan.org.
0: Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network
1: sets your table.
0: And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman.
1: Trying to decide where to go first. <laughs> we have so many angles and places that we need to go. Um, uh, let's do this. Before we launch into anything to do with the Trump indictments, let's talk about one that is out there that it's probably the 900-pound gorilla in the room, but nobody's talking about it. We aren't talking about indictments. I mean, there are, what, 37? Now, what you need to understand is a huge portion of those are for the same thing, but different, alleged different instances that happened in uh, former President Trump's docugate thing out of Mar-a-Lago. There's just a few and in real indictments, but with all of that going on, indictments flying everywhere. You would think that they'd be talking at least a little bit about Joe Biden. It's a big deal that Trump is the first president to ever be indicted ever be indicted when he left office. First time ever. And to make it even more amazing first time ever is a political candidate, an incumbent is running as a candidate for president again, and his opposing person that's running against him, who was or is a sitting president formerly, And the current president, his Department of Justice, indicts his political opponent in that race. That's never happened. On Thursday, the FBI, we all know this, very begrudgingly delivered to Congress a document, a very credible document, that reveals the testimony of a trusted and highly credible informant of the FBI who says that President Biden is tied to a criminal bribery scheme involving Ukraine That gas company in Ukraine, Burisma. You remember Burisma. It's the corporation that handed Joe's derelict son, Hunter, bunches of big bags full of cash. And he sat on their board of their directors, even though he had zero experience in the industry, nor any discernible value as an employee in Ukraine of all places. Apart from his last name, of course, Biden. Why would they do that? Now, thanks to Republicans, we got an answer. Two Congresswomen who've seen this closely guarded FBI form, they say it reveals that Ukrainian oligarch Mykola Slochevsky, who owns Burisma, by the way, he paid Hunter and another unidentified member of the Biden family $5 million each for their help in quashing a corruption probe of his company, Burisma. Now I know what you're thinking. It's a little bit far-fetched. There's no way the Biden's would be so blatantly underhanded, right? It's almost if somebody told you that Hunter was the recipient of golden showers from prosecutes in a Moscow hotel, right? You remember that from Russia Gate? They said Trump was doing that. and it was a blatant lie. Frankly, If it wasn't for the facts that have come out, I'd agree with you. If these allegations came out of left field and were completely disconnected from facts. But the reality is this story fits like a laser-cut piece into the jigsaw puzzle of alleged Biden family corruption. It all begins in Ukraine. 2012, Ukraine's Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin he launched an investigation into Burisma, which has been known for decades as the most corrupt oil and gas company in Europe, period. Every nation. Burisma is a holding company for several different energy exploration and production companies that operate in the former Soviet satellite nation of Ukraine and around the world. Shokin was looking into how the Kiev-based firm had secured some permits to access natural resources in Ukraine, notoriously corrupt Ukraine. Two years later, Burisma brought Hunter on board. Despite his conventional uselessness, at a unbelievable rate, board member, not acting officer in the business, but just on the board, $83,000 a month. Hmm. By 2016, a time when Hunter was admittedly smoking crack every 15 minutes, Viktor Shokin had been fired. It's no mystery why that happened. Joe Biden, then vice president, had been tapped by President Obama to be the big guy, the administration's chief Ukraine envoy, following Russia invasion of Crimea in 2014. During one of his many trips to the country, Biden instructed Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko to get rid of Shokin. Or if he didn't that same day, Biden said this, they would lose, Ukraine would lose a billion dollars in loan guarantees of the federal government for Ukraine. Biden claims his billion dollar threat was intended to clean up corruption in Ukraine, And that it's just a happy little coincidence, it also may have benefited a company that was paying his son $83,000 a month. In fact, Joe even bragged about it. We played the video of Joe bragging about it later. He's on a three-person panel sitting up front, and he said, I looked at them and said, this is then-Vice President Biden speaking, I looked at them and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If that prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. That was in 2018 at a Council on Foreign Relations event. And then he said, well, son of a bee, he got fired. Now, it's still unclear what exactly happened to Shokin's investigation. Ukrainians have alternatively said it ended in 2014, and that it was still up in the air as late as 2019. Oh, and then two months after Joe left office to make way for the Trump administration, Hunter's compensation from Burisma was reportedly cut in half. That's not suspicious or anything, is it? (laughs) Joe was gone. They had no influence there. Imagine a world in which Donald Trump Jr. held a million-dollar fantasy job for some foreign firm while his daddy was in office. They'd likely be at Guantanamo Bay at this time, locked up forever. After all, Trump was impeached for the second time, remember that, by the House for threatening, allegedly threatening, to withhold funds to Ukraine unless the government looked into what is now a full-blown scandal. You think that's a little bit of a double standard? You know, where's quid pro Joe out there? Remember, he got that nickname because he likes to make sure everybody knows when you do something, you're going to be expected to do something later for the person that did it for you, quid pro quo. Double standard. This isn't even two sets of rules. It's one set of rules for those named Trump and no rules whatsoever for those named Biden. There's more smoke swirling around the Biden family today than there was around New York City this week. And what did the current commander in chief have to say for himself when he was confronted on Friday by a reporter asking about the alleged bribery charges that may be coming out against him? He said, it's malarkey. And then he quickly added this. Where's the money? he told reporters as he was pressed over these details on Thursday. Sounded like a mob boss that's confident that he's hidden the body well. Republican Nancy Mace, she'd like to also know where that money is. Prove us wrong by releasing your and your family's unredacted bank records, she said. The FBI can't protect you forever. That's exactly right. You realize Biden could clear this up today, but he won't, and that's a bit odd. His allies, of course, are waving away this damning revelation as if it's nothing, but even their denials are suspicious. Example, Democrat House Oversight Committee member Jamie Raskin, he claims the FBI and the DOJ already slammed the book on this file. Now, according to Raskin, listen to this, this one I love because Adam Schiff is in disfavored world right now. He's not being given by Democrats in Congress a voice. Jamie Raskin is taking over that. According to him, Trump's DOJ, under Attorney General Barr, and this is a quote from Raskin, determined the DOJ, Attorney General Barr, determined that there were no grounds to escalate their probe, and it was therefore closed down. But within just a couple hours, Barr was screaming pants on fire. Mr. Raskin is confused, Barr said. Why does Raskin feel so free just blatantly to mislead the American people? Actually, what happened is it was referred for further investigation to the federal attorney in Delaware while that attorney was already investigating Hunter Biden for IRS tax fraud. This was kind of like another little thing to just put on the stack. Why is Raskin so free to just blatantly mislead us all? It's because he knows that a compliant mainstream media are going to chew up and regurgitate his statements like a busy nest of chirping chicks. There's no accountability for people like Raskin. He's already been called out by the former attorney general that was over that investigation. Facts don't matter. It's nothing short of an absolute disgrace. And it's got to stop. Now with Republicans in control of the House and Speaker Kevin McCarthy greenlighting probes into the Bidens, Like a Netflix executive on speed, there will come a point when even liberal lapdogs in the press won't be able to ignore growing evidence of corruption. And I must tell you this, here at TNN Live, we are going to continue to bang the gong. We are not going to stop talking about factual information or the truth we will have people continually on this show that bring us facts. And when we do, we charge you to listen to what they say, read what they write, and test it all for yourself. Do the same thing about people on the left and things that they say. People in our government, because it is important. It's more important now than it ever has been. A whole generation maybe two or three generations that are breathing today, their futures are at stake, as is the last part of my generation. We're going to die off here in the next 20, 30 years. But the generations behind us, oh my gosh, they're sucking air. So Nancy Mace, Representative Nancy Mace, she was one that went in to the skiff and was able to see this entire document found out there are two more of those forms that the FBI has that they won't let anybody go look at except house leadership they're going to do that this week it allegedly opens the door for more Biden bribery information Mace on Friday she went a little bit postal on Biden and his administration about all this
5: Primary allegation: Congresswoman Nancy Mace says there's damning evidence in the FBI file that you sold out the country. Do you have a response to the congressional Republicans? Where's the money? I'm joking. Mr. President, I try to to a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> okay. That was yesterday. got another clip in a moment here, too, that came from that same uh, press conference. Uh, President Biden now responding to bribery allegations involving the the business dealings of his family. It comes after House Republicans viewed an FBI document in a secure room on the Hill, including our next guest, uh, House Oversight Member Nancy Mace, Congresswoman of South Carolina. Uh, Good morning to you and thanks for coming on. Uh, Good morning. uh, You've seen it. Uh, How would you characterize it? Let's start there.
4: I would characterize it as a detailed document. It was very credible and legitimate. Um, I would not brush it off like the FBI has. And it corroborates other information that we've seen in other places because the document, for one example, talks about not just $5 million, but $10 million going to the Biden family, half of that going to Hunter Biden, the other half going to Joe Biden. When you look at Hunter Biden's emails and him lamenting and complaining that he had to give half... Of his income to his father, and then you listen to recordings and other investigations about oligarchy, also talking about paying off the Bidens. When you add it all together, uh, it's absolutely something that should be investigated to the fullest extent.
5: Well, wow, okay, let me come back to a couple of things. You said it was detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, in what way?
4: Well, in terms of what meetings took place and the information shared in those meetings by the witness. And here's the thing, the FBI originally wouldn't uh, say that the document even existed. And then it magically appeared out of thin air. And then they said we couldn't see it. Then we said only the chairman could see it, but it had to be redacted. And finally, with the threat of contempt, all of us on the oversight committee were able to go into a classified room to review an unclassified document. What I want the mainstream media to have is an actual copy of this document so they can see for themselves a legitimate, uh, accusations here and of bribery and when you look at the bank records the dozens of shell companies when biden says where's the money i think that was a freudian slip the money is in all of the shell companies that your family created to get money fu- funneled from other countries into your back pocket
5: okay um is it a one pager it, no is it's a it couple a of pages pamphlet? it's
4: not long It's not, it's not very long, but it's very detailed uh, Mm -hmm. document. And it, to me, when I read it, it's very credible. And and on Monday, even the chairman of Oversight, Jamie Comer, he was told that there is an investigation. We don't know what investigation it's being utilized in, but this is legitimate. It's real. And when you couple that with the indictment last night that came down on Donald Trump on the day that, We looked at uh, evidence of corruption. You know, you're watching the executive branch try to take out their political enemies because of the accusations against the Biden family.
5: Okay, okay, a couple things here. Chuck Rassa was with us last week. Very interesting interview. Uh, He Mm -hmm. was saying, just do your job to the FBI and investigate it. Um, Who's to say they're not at this moment, Congresswoman?
4: Well, I believe they may be based on the information that was shared with oversight staff and the chairman on Monday when they initially reviewed the document that they said they couldn't share it because it was part of an investigation. They also said they couldn't share it because they're worried about the life and safety of the whistleblower. And the human source, the witness, uh, you know, they've been stonewalling us for a long time. We'll come to find out there are other 1023 documents and there are more bank records that will need to be subpoenaed. And quite frankly, I would like to go back and revisit the Treasury and go back and look at the suspicious activity reports. Now that we have this information in hand, we need to follow the facts.
5: Okay, so it's a couple pages. There are redactions, Mm -hmm. right?
4: A lot of redactions. A lot. That, wow. Okay. Yeah.
5: So you say it's detailed even with the redactions. I, I, yes. I don't know how that looks. Um,
4: a little messy, but it's uh, absolutely, there's just a lot of corroborating information in there okay. about other accusations. Okay. Is this, is this
5: in Washington? Is it in Ukraine? Where is it?
4: This is Ukraine. These are Ukraine executives associated with Burisma. So we're back to that story that was, uh, that we heard right. about so, a couple uh, of years ago.
5: This is out of Kyiv mm-hmm. then, correct? where this yes. conversation, Lisa, took place. Last question. Perhaps it's just not nailed down. And the FBI is looking to, at this as hearsay, as opposed to fact. Would you accept that?
4: Well, one of the reasons that I'm encouraging the Oversight Committee is to subpoena more bank records so we can see if this is true or if it's not. One of the things in the document, the Ukrainian executives were bragging about the number of shell companies that it would take a decade to prove it out, to be able to show where the money went because they were purposely trying to hide the source of the funds and purposely trying to hide where they ended up in the back pockets of the Biden family.
1: Okay, we'll see where it goes, right? Reason, reason. Adults looking at facts and asking questions when the answers to those questions come back and they don't make Reason You just can't credibly put them all together and let the answers or the excuses that are given match the allegations. What you do is you keep digging. That does not happen in the Biden Department of Justice. Christopher Wray, FBI director, is feckless. He proves it again and again and again. He stalls. He's doing the same things that James Comer did. James Comey, not Comer, James Comey, who was the FBI director that former President Trump fired. There is an activist environment in the FBI. Don't know how far it runs deep. Don't know how far it runs wide. But we are watching a corrupt Department of Justice led by Attorney General Merrick Garland And, of course, Ray and the FBI, there are multiple agencies that are part of the Department of Justice. Everybody needs to understand that. We have, they tell us, 16 different intelligence agencies. They're all in the DOJ. That means Merrick Garland is at the top, the Attorney General, but who's above Merrick Garland? Joe Biden. You don't think there's some nastiness going on? You don't think there are a few lies being told, a few things misrepresented? Come on now. We're Americans. We like living in the freest and the fairest country on the planet. We love it. We love the results that come from our hard work that citizens in other countries don't have the ability to do. You're set. Whatever the government says, that's the way it's going to be. Whatever they want to give you, that's all you're going to get. In the United States, here four. if you rake hard, if you work hard, you enjoy the fruit of your labor. The way we're headed, that's gone pretty soon.
0: Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network
6: can milk do? Well, it can turn you into a morning person. It can help fuel some pretty tough stuff. And it can definitely make cartoons funnier.
0: No, it can't.
6: Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whirr and creme brulee cremy. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do?
0: Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays, at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then, when you get to Motel 6, you can check in. After you check in, your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you.
1: I like that song. The name of that group was Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. I don't know of another song that they did that was a hit. But if you don't know me by now, that was that was a pretty good song. Top of the show, I told you about uh, something that's hanging out there that may it may dismiss the indictments against President Trump, the Marlago Docu Gate issue. One former top DOJ official that was at the top under the Trump administration looked at the federal indictment and he suggests there are grounds to dismiss the whole thing that are contained in just the first couple of pages of what he called this outrageous document. His name is Jeff Clark. Jeffrey Clark was appointed by then-President Trump to be the Assistant Attorney General of the Environment and Natural Resources Division back in 2017. He was confirmed by the Senate October 11th, sworn into office on November 1st of 2018. Then the, the President directed that Clark serve as well as the Acting Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Division, effective in September of 2020. Here's what Clark said over the weekend. I'm beginning to read the indictment against Trump, but even three pages in, it's clear that leaks, oh my gosh, Donald Trump being indicted and leaks about the indictment pending and all of that come out. Does that sound eerily familiar to you? Clark said that leaks had preceded the indictment and are far too close to what is actually being pleaded by the DOJ. That cannot be a coincidence, he says. So, what's he talking about? Well, CNN. CNN, I love it when CNN does stupid stuff. They first broke the news over a week ago of a 2021 audio recording in which Trump reportedly admitted that he did not declassify some of the highly confidential materials that were seized at Mar-a-Lago. Hmm. On Friday, before the details of the indictment were released, CNN dropped a transcript of a portion of that conversation that Trump had with writers at his Bedminster New Jersey golf club. This totally wins my case, you know, Trump said on the recording, except it is like highly confidential secret. This is secret information. Look, look at this. Even before the transcript was released, MSNBC was calling the recording evidentiary and manna from heaven. In paragraph 6A on page 3 of the indictment, we hear about the recording of the Bedminster call, which the MSNBCs of the world have been beating a dead horse about for quite a while based on these leaks. This means that Trump lawyers could not possibly be the source of the leaks. Here's what the indictment said. I'll just read you a little bit of it. In July 2021 at Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, During an audio-recorded meeting with a writer, a publisher, and two members of its staff, none of whom post post a security clearance, Trump sewed and described a plan of attack that Trump said was prepared for him by the Department of Defense and a senior military official. Trump told the individuals that the plan was highly confidential and secret. Trump also said, as president, I could have declassified it, And now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. Therefore, Clark surmised that, listen to this, the leaks are coming from the Department of Justice. They must be investigated and punished. Also, this is grounds for granting a motion, highlighting jury pool poisoning, and dismissing the indictment before it reaches even its one-month birthday, All of this is so outrageous, Clark said, it shocks the conscience. It's fundamentally anti-American. And Clark should know a little bit about anti-American behavior. A year ago, June of 2022, the FBI raided Clark's home. They dragged him out into the street, seized his electronics in connection with the January 6th Inquisition. (laughs) I just think we're living in an era that I don't recognize. Clark told that to Tucker Carlson at the time when this happened back in June of 2022. And increasingly, Tucker, I don't recognize the country anymore with these Stasi-like things happening. After reading the indictment, Clark tweeted, Trump, witch hunt number what? I've lost count, he stated. Let's call it Trump witch hunt number 99. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So do you know who the prosecutor is in this case? Common name, Jack Smith. So who the heck is Jack Smith? Well, let me just say this. Jack Smith, he's the guy in charge of this whole thing, and he's got a history. And his history, his legal history, is not real stellar. A day after Trump was indicted, the New York Times ran a puff piece about special counsel Jack Smith. And the puff piece said the former prosecutor was chosen for his experience in bringing high-stakes cases against politicians, both in the United States and abroad. But his record of success in courts is mixed. Mick's not really looking very good in most of his cases because news reports show he tends to push the legal envelope too hard. While his prosecutor secured a corruption conviction of former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, a unanimous Supreme Court 8-0 to zero, overturned all those McDonnell convictions. Listen to what Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in the only opinion of the court in that case. And remember, it was old Jack Smith that was prosecuting the former governor. Justice, Chief Justice Roberts said, There is no doubt that this case is distasteful. It may be worse than that. But our concern is not with tawdry tales of Ferraris, Rolexes, and ball gowns. It's instead with the broader legal implications of the government's boundless interpretation of the federal bribery statute. A more limited interpretation of the term, official act, leaves ample room for prosecuting corruption while comporting with the text of the statute and the precedent of this court. On that case, Jack Smith had gone a little bit too far. If you, if you think getting busted eight to nothing by the Supreme Court. They're saying that he went a little too far in his zeal to convict and come up with nothing. And that 8 verdict at the SCOTUS meant that further prosecutors would find it a little more challenging to bring corruption cases against politicians because of the legal principle of state decisis. It is the doctrine that courts will adhere to precedent in making their decisions. State decisis means to stand by things decided in Latin. A unanimous decision strengthens state decisis immensely. Lower courts don't have the option to cite minority opinions in dissent. So Smith was the head of the Obama Justice Department's Publicly Integrity Section. He also indicted Democrat vice presidential nominee John Edwards in 2011, remember, on six felony charges of violating multiple federal campaign contribution laws, and he did it to cover up an extramarital affair in which a baby was part of that process. The jury rejected Smith's arguments at trial, acquitting Edwards of one count, failing to reach a verdict on five others, resulting in Edwards going scot-free. The New York Times said at the time that the judge's declaration of a mistrial in the John Edwards campaign finance case was a new setback for the DOJ's public integrity section. Now, what Smith does, he tends to use a star witness And he builds an aggressive case against those that are charged. In that John Edwards case, Smith used Edwards' longtime political aide, Andrew Young, former mayor of Atlanta, as his star witness. But as Stephen Weissman, a former associate director for policy at the nonpartisan campaign finance institute and also legislative representative for public citizen, noted in a Hill article Young turned out to be a disaster in the courtroom. Weissman said the failed case raised serious questions about Smith's and his colleagues' judgment concerning the sufficiency of evidence to prove any criminal intent. So in this Trump 37 count indictment, Smith is relying heavily on contemporaneous notes of Trump's defense lawyer, Evan Cochran, who joined Tom's, payroll after Trump got a DOJ subpoena last year for classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. How can the prosecution use the testimony of a defense lawyer against a defendant? Aren't exchanges between the defense lawyer and Trump confidential and subject to lawyer-client privilege? You know the answer to that. Jack Smith does not think the attorney-client privilege applies to Trump or his lawyers, Perhaps Smith was inspired by how another of Trump lawyers, Michael Cohen, switched sides and became a prosecution witness. Remember that? So deny, to deny Trump the privilege, Smith filed a motion with a federal judge in Washington, aggressively arguing that Trump's lawyer, Evan Cochran, had engaged in advancing Trump's crime of hiding these classified documents from the FBI. Beryl A. Howell, the judge, ruled that Smith had met the threshold for a special provision of the law known as the Crime Fraud Exception. Even NBC News acknowledged that this ruling was very, very rare. It meant that the bedrock legal principle that attorney-client communications stay secret didn't apply anymore because DOJ lawyers showed that legal services had been used in furtherance of a crime. And the crime hasn't even been confirmed to be a crime. I guess basically it means they're flipping a coin or rolling the dice, hoping that they win the case, so that won't be a legal issue. Let me tell you what it will be. It will be part of an appeal, that will put this case out two, three years from resolution. So much for Smith's assertion that America has one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everybody. Very few Americans believe that anymore, and I happen to be one. The Trump team was really critical of that Judge Howell ruling in D.C. One spokesperson at the time said, whenever prosecutors target the attorney's, that's usually a good indication their underlying case is very weak. If they had a real case, it would need to play corrupt games with the Constitution. Every American has a right to consult with counsel and have candid discussions. This promotes adherence to the law. We will fight the DOJ on this front and all others that jeopardize fundamental American rights and values. Got to remember, we live in this American society. The one that's owned lock, stock, and barrel by Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats. And of course, the leadership in the Democrat Party. The Constitution? No, oh, that's just a piece of paper that references the old stuff that happened after the nation was formed. None of that mess is applicable today. You think I'm overestimating when I say those things? <laughs> I don't think so. I told you I had some predictions. I'm not going to do them right now. We'll do them between now and the end of the show. We've got about 50 minutes left. we got some other things we need to get into. And one of them, I told you, Megan Kelly was coming, along with a, our buddy down from Sky News in Australia. And they are warning. Democrats had better be careful in this storming Mar-a-Lago to get rid of Donald Trump. There could be trouble in this for them.
0: I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Jen Psaki sat down with uh, James Comey and they were sort of playing lefty fan fiction, pretending that there's a very good chance that uh, Donald Trump could be the first person to ever be nominated for the presidency with an ankle bracelet, or he could even be the first person who's elected from jail. I
5: mean, it's this crazy world that Donald Trump has dragged this country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention.
4: And could be wearing an ankle bracelet and be elected in November.
5: Yeah, we could have, it would be rejected if you put it in a script for a show, but you could have a president who is potentially incarcerated when he's elected president. So that would be weird and awkward. And it seems even crazy to be coming out of my mouth, but that's the situation we face. It looks like the Republicans will likely and nominate someone who is under serious cred- criminal investigation is indicted and who knows where that's going to lead us.
0: They really are um, I mean we, they started at 11 and I don't know how they've found a way to get up to 13 but they are just living in a fantasy land about how unelectable Trump may end up being but as you say when the alternative is the bloke who's falling over and the person who would inherit the presidency is someone that couldn't even get to the first round of her own democratic primary, people don't care
7: That was never Trump, Trump porn. That's what that was. They just revel. Like, how many ankle bracelets could we get on him? What kind of a prison (laughs) would he be in? How, would would he get a mug shot? Would we get a shot where he's walked away in handcuffs? We saw it when the Alvin Bragg prosecution was announced in New York and he had to go in for his arraignment. And they're hoping there could be as many as three more of those coming their way. You remember what happened, they should be careful. Because after the Alvin Bragg indictment, Trump's numbers went through the roof. And they've stayed there. They've stayed there. Just ask Ron DeSantis, who was getting a little close to Trump in states like Iowa and New Hampshire prior to the indictment. And then the indictment happened and Trump took off like a rocket ship and he hasn't come back down. See how it's going to go when the next prosecution is announced and the next prosecution. The the public is going to feel sorry for him. They see him as the victim of a persecution. So the Democrats really better be careful here. They better be really careful because they're elevating him more than anyone else. Um, And Ron DeSantis is not really giving him a run for his money right now. So Trump could be the nominee and Biden truly might not make it. I don't say that with glee. I don't want anything bad to happen to the man, I think what is being done to him is cruel. I think it's the same thing as John Fetterman, the senator, and Diane Feinstein in California, the senator. They're propping up this person who clearly should be exiting stage left and having a dignified retirement into a role he's no longer fit for. So it makes me upset, makes me angry, but it also makes me scared for the country. And if I were a Democrat, I'd be extra scared.
1: If I was a Democrat, she said, Megan Kelly said, I would be extra scared typically when these things happen, they're very seldom cut and dry. There's so much in the gray area. Let me just give you a historical legal perspective on what is happening almost daily in the United States. And it was mentioned, Neil Gorsuch, I don't know if you remember the confirmation hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee, when he was speaking, when he was seeking the appointment, he already had the appointment, but was seeking to be confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. And he made a statement I'll never forget. He looked at those senators and he said, the problem with our law today is you guys, lawmakers, when you write these laws, you don't put the intentions. You don't put into the laws all of the background that you use to make these laws. And that's a lazy thing for lawmakers to do because what they say is, well, we'll just write this and leave it pretty, you know, opaque and pretty um, just opinionated without a bunch of facts backing up the content of these laws. We'll go ahead and write the laws, pass them. President in the White House at the time will sign them into law. And we'll rely on the judiciary system to clear up any fog. That comes along. We are living in that right now. Almost every piece of legislation that is ever challenged in federal court now, it's very uh, just plain. It doesn't have justification for the things that come out on the other side of it. They're leaving that out. And I used to think it was because they were in that, but you know, I've changed my thought. I think now they're doing it purposely because they want to force it into the court systems, knowing that whenever there are vacancies in federal courts, if there's a Democrat administration in charge, that president, whoever it is, is going to nominate leftist judges to fill those open district positions. And therefore, Those are going to be more likely to rule on all kinds of things that come before them based on politics rather than faced on the rule of law. It was and is a purposeful prospect. And that's what they're doing. And Americans are paying the price. The rule of law, it almost doesn't matter anymore. And I certainly hate to say that. And it's not just a slam against Democrat and Democrat justices. It's not. It's a slam against our legislators in Congress, the ones that write and craft the laws. And they're the ones, their bills before they vote on them, when they vote on them and they're passed and then those go to the, the White House for a president to either sign or veto. And then they're signed and they become laws if they're not well written and not inclusive of all the facts and the explanations for the decisions the lawmakers made, they're almost always going to end up controversial and it comes down to one thing and one thing only. The judge's opinion instead of making it being based on constitutional law. That's where we are today. Nobody can credibly say that's not where we are. How do we get away from it? You know how we get away from it. Put conservatives in office. When that happens, you get judges that will adhere to the law as each law was crafted. That's called originalist. And the left hate the originalist justices, and they won't appoint them. When they have somebody in the White House that's on their side, they want to appoint them. Well, let me just tell you what I'm going to do. I've come up to a consensus on the Trump situation of what's going to happen. When we come back in a minute, I'm going to give you six very strong reasons why what I'm pretty sure is going to happen is going to happen. What are those six things? Well, you got to wait about a minute. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything
0: you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Right this way.
4: I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City, with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Welcome back to the King
8: Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And
5: I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger.
8: Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim
5: from Tucson, you're on the air.
3: Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck, I couldn't be happier. Oh,
8: congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new double-crispy cheesy burger, the flame-fresh taste? Well,
3: I'll tell you, it had two big flame broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious.
5: Oh, don't forget the price, Jim.
3: Oh, yeah, and it only cost a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made.
4: Probably, Jim.
3: Okay, definitely.
5: Yeah, there it is. is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger
0: with double the flame fresh taste. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: As we break down all these things, the conundrum that ends at the very end of it, obviously things end at the end, right? A lot of things to consider when we come up with what is going to happen. And going into the break, I told you I've got six reasons why I think I can call the outcome and get pretty close to doing it. But before we do that, I told you Harris Faulkner of Fox News was going to come in and give us some information and let you hear from a Trump attorney, female attorney, on her thoughts and before we give you before i give you my six reasons for the outcome of this at least in my opinion here's trump's attorney and harris faulkner
9: so is this all really about forcing trump out of the race alina haba is one of the president's attorneys and she joins me now great to see you we've been together two nights in a row pre unsealing of the indictment and now and I want to get your take on why you think it's all happening. Is it, in fact, to keep him from running?
8: 100% they are afraid of Donald Trump, and they should be. He is leading in the polls, and every time they hit him, he just gets up and hits them harder. It is frightening if you are a Comey, Pelosi, or a Schumer, and you are sitting there in the justice system, as Ray is, and you are not turning over documents that indict a current president and Donald Trump could take you out. That's got to be frightening for them. But you know what I know? He didn't do anything wrong. We have our day in court and this indictment is completely one sided. It is their story. It is who they want to put up and they take a grand jury of people. They show them their own evidence and they come after the greatest president we've had and the 47th president. That is what they're doing. That is
9: what they're doing. They're taking
8: away your right to vote. And that is a very scary time for our country.
9: We saw the president today shake up his legal team a bit. And I know that you're not representing him on this case, but you are close to the former president uh, in your legal advice. uh, Nonetheless, what can you tell us, if anything, about how different this is going to be as a team compared with how it was even 24 hours ago?
8: I think when any indictment comes down, um, you have to assess what the best strategy is. The more information you have, the better. Uh, so he's going to select people that everyone thinks is best suited for this case. Now we have some color to it. You have to remember, when there's a grand jury, we don't have details. We don't know what the charges that they're bringing are. We don't have the people with those particular expertise. Of course, I'm not licensed in Florida. He has to bring right. people who are licensed in Florida. We didn't even know the venue as of yesterday, right? So, so this is all part of a strategic plan in, uh, in any legal community. And, and, and he'll be all over it. He already is.
9: Yeah, I mentioned Eileen Cannon, who'll be the judge presiding over this, is a, a Trump appointee in the Southern District there in, in South Florida, um, and, and so that's one name that may be familiar to people. Is is what he's about to face going to be with a team that you're familiar with at all?
8: Of course, um, in terms of the legal team. Mm-hmm. They will be properly vetted. They will be people that we really use um, and vet. There's a lot of attorneys that want to work for Donald Trump. And I, I mm. want to clear that up because there is so much gossip. And literally, that is all it is. But we have so many people that we have to vet and go through a process to make sure they are the right Team for him. This is not a joke. You get it is a privilege to represent President Trump. So we have to vet them. We have to make sure that the right people for the team, right people for the job. And when we feel comfortable and he feels comfortable, ultimately he will make that decision. But yeah, there will be people that are, are, you know, referred to us and vetted, and that we know through reputation.
9: Well, as you heard maybe moments ago from Jonathan Turley, he said, "Look, this does." you know, have some teeth in it. There are some things. But he said every day that goes past in his experience with an indictment, you're building your defense against it. And it looks a little bit more pale in the in the light of day as you go forward. So we'll see. Alina Abba, thank you again for joining the program. Appreciate your time.
1: So what are the people that are out there, the people that are in the circle with information? I'm talking principally about the media because that's where Most Americans go to get the answers to these kind of questions. Well, veteran political reporter, a guy named Peter Baker of the New York Times, here's what he said on Friday. The former president's efforts to defend against multiple felony counts by discrediting law enforcement pose a grave challenge to democracy. That's right. In the view of the left, Jack Smith his boss, Merrick Garland, Jack Smith is the prosecutor. His boss, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, the partisan AG who appointed him, or President Biden, who stands much to gain from Trump going to prison. They did nothing wrong in charging an immediate ex president with 37 counts of criminal acts that are sufficient to put him in jail for 400 years. Never mind that Trump is leading, even today, national polls for the 2024 race from both parties. That's where they are. I'm going to give you six reasons why I think Trump could come out on top of this and deliver a fatal blow to the very deep state that is taking extraordinary measures to hurt him, all under the vague standard of equal justice under the law for everybody. Six things, six reasons. Number one, the Presidential Records Act. You know, we've heard a little bit about it previous conversations. We've heard several presidents get out of what could have been a bad thing for them, mishandling of classified documents, if it wasn't for the Presidential Records Act. It's not even mentioned in this indictment. Whatever Jack Smith claimed in his charge would make sense to anyone in America, but not for a former president. The Presidential Records Act expressly allows former presidents to take material with them after they leave office. If the National Archives, the custodian agency for all official papers, if that agency sees that some document should be returned, The two parties are supposed to negotiate a friendly conclusion. And if those negotiations are unsuccessful, by the way, the dispute is supposed to be resolved in civil court. The fact that the Presidential Records Authority was omitted could draw some judicial rebukes from the judge. Hmm. That's number one. Number two, the misuse of the Espionage Act. So what is the Espionage Act? It is written and crafted to punish people who engage in spying to the detriment of the United States. That law was used to charge Robert Hansen, who was a former FBI agent, who took over $1.4 million in cash and diamonds to trade secrets with Moscow. His sentence in 2002 was to serve life in prison with no possibility of parole. Jack Smith has charged Donald Trump with 37 similar crimes. Although there's no evidence that Trump used the classified materials to profit materially. Besides, the act has never been used against an ex-president since 1917. That's number two. Number three. The fraudulent use of the the no-person-is-above-the-law standard. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. Listen closely. Jack Smith said in his address to the media, and I'm going to quote him, Our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. That sounds benign. I mean, that's pretty much the way it is, right? The problem with this is that the world has seen how the deep state has gone after Trump, often putting him below any law. The FBI conspired with the Democrat Party to charge that the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians, which was proven false, dead false. Trump, impeached twice, has been the target of a 16-month investigation by the January 6th Committee and as a defendant in three New York lawsuits plus a Fulton County, Georgia lawsuit. The New York judge in the E. Jean Carroll's allegation of sexual abuse in a Manhattan Department store case raised eyebrows because the judge seemed predisposed to engineer a verdict against Trump. That's number three. Number four, if anything, These constant attacks against one individual duly elected to the 45th presidency are likely to make Trump a martyr, as we predicted when the FBI raided his residence. Number five, Biden has proven himself to be above the law. The same deep state that has gone after Trump has taken a kid's glove approach to Biden's legal problems, including. The Hunter Biden laptop scandal and Biden's own problems with classified documents when he was President Obama's vice president. That was number six. Number seven, Jack Smith's record in the Supreme Court is weak. Any verdict in the Trump case is pretty much certain it's going to make it to the Supreme Court. For prosecutor lionized by the left, Smith's arguments were routed in the Supreme Court case nine to zero. That's in McDonald v. United States in the conviction under the Hobbs Act. Now I told you I was going to give you six, but I'll give you one more. Number seven: This case will likely be settled in the Supreme Court in Trump's favor. The John Roberts Court has repeatedly proven that its decisions are very political. Suppose a guilty case against Trump is upheld in lower courts. In that case, the justices know that future administrations can target their political opponents for so-called process crimes, reducing America to nothing more than a banana republic. These waters are pretty much uncharted right now, thanks to an overzealous and partisan Department of Justice. No one can predict the future. But contrary to the left's initial frenzy, this whole saga could re-elect Trump as the 47th president. I believe that's going to happen. Why don't we do this? let's just switch gears for the last 25 minutes or so and talk about a few other things. You know, it's almost like we don't even have a southern border problem anymore. We don't have an immigration problem anymore. And that's exactly opposite of the truth. Illegals are flooding across our southern border. And the Biden administration is struggling. They can't really keep up with this flood and don't know what to do with them. And in most cases, they're just letting them go free. So the Democrats have a plan, a legislative plan. And here's what their plan is. They want to reward illegal immigration by granting mass amnesty. They've tried it before on numerous occasions. But traditionally, it's been a tough sell with the American public. I'm not talking about lawmakers, fellow lawmakers. I'm talking about the American public don't like it. So the marketing strategy for amnesty advocates is to sell all of us, the American people, on the idea, they got to convince us of this, millions of illegal aliens are actually doing us a favor by being here. And that if we grant them legal permanent residence, that's the very least thing we can do, to thank them for what they're giving to us. New legislation in Congress aims to fulfill our debt to illegals who are defined as essential to our economy. Every day, over 5 million essential workers with no permanent legal status kept Americans healthy, fed, and safe during the COVID pandemic, all while risking their own health and the health of their families. That's Senator Alex Padilla, Democrat of California, who is sponsoring what's called the Citizenship for Essential Workers Act. So here comes Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts. She's a sponsor of the bill. Was even more explicit in defining the amnesty measure as the fulfillment of an obligation. In other words, all these illegals come over here, we owe them to do anything they want, everything that they need. We need to reward them for coming into our country. The Citizenship for Essential Workers recognizes that all essential workers have given and will create a fair and accessible pathway to citizenship. Call me stupid, but we already have a very successful path. To citizenship for illegal aliens. You know, those ones that come here and go through the process the legal way. A million of them a year, every year. We're pretty darn good about making it happen the way it is. Warren and others, they're talking about ripping it up and just taking the borders down. So given the rhetoric employed by the bill's sponsors and advocates, you might get the impression that the people who stand to benefit from this pathway to citizenship are, you know, rare heroes who rendered extraordinary services at a time of great national need. It's not quite that. According to the bill's authors, 5.2 million illegal aliens performed essential work during COVID and therefore must be duly rewarded along with untold numbers of their family members. In fact, according to Senator Warren's fact sheet, these 5.2 million illegal workers account for almost three out of four undocumented workers in the United States. So the House version of the Citizenship for Essential Workers Act, it's called H.R. 3043, it lists 21 different categories, not including numerous subcategories of those essential workers who they think we should reward them with green cards and eventually give them citizenship. Now, we're not just talking about an emergency room doc who might have saved the lives of COVID victims and respiratory failure. Under this bill, essential workers, to name just a few, include the Grubhub guy who delivered takeout meals, commercial and residential landscapers, house cleaners, warehouse workers, janitors, and laundromat and dry cleaning operators. Where would we have been able to go without the illegal workers who fluffed and folded through the COVID crisis? It's even harder to imagine what non-essential services, the 25% of illegals not covered under this amnesty, were performing even more indicative of the fact that the legislation is just a transparently repackaged amnesty for just about everyone who's here illegally, is that even people who didn't perform essential work or did so for just a very brief period of time when the public health emergency was in effect, they're eligible to benefit. Illegal alien workers who lost their jobs in the designated sectors of the labor market because of COVID would still qualify for amnesty under the bill, so too would illegals who quit their jobs in these industries during the pandemic because they feared for their own health and their own safety. Every job in America, every single one of the jobs in America is essential to somebody, to the workers who get paid to do them, the business owners who employ them and the customers and clients who avail themselves of the products and services provided. And while these illegal aliens performed jobs in the 21 categories defined as essential, so too did countless millions of Americans with no expectation that doing so entitled them to anything more than the agreed upon compensation for their labor. Illegal immigration, there is no such thing. You understand that. Oh, they're illegal, but they're not immigrants because immigrants are people who go through whatever the process is in a country to where they want to go. And these illegals aren't doing that. So why are we calling them immigrants? That's just a thought. Doing so illegally, it's not just an act of altruism for us to give them these rights uh, the left are claiming we should does not need to be rewarded, these illegals, as such. Every person who violates our immigration laws does so because it serves a personal interest, not out of a burning desire to provide a service, essential or otherwise, to the American people. The American public has consistently, consistently opposed mass illegal alien amnesties. Why? Well, they reject the idea of rewarding lawbreaking and lawbreakers. I'm right there. They're breaking the law. Any person that steps across our border doesn't have a formal invitation to do so is breaking an immigration law. Labeling three quarters of the people working in this country illegally as essential and selling amnesty as a debt that we owe to them, it's unlikely to change anybody's minds and would only encourage more illegal immigrants to come. I don't know how many we have here. <laughs> I just know there are a bunch. And I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm I'm certain, there are more than 20 million illegal aliens across our, our country. The Biden administration says, give, give us more. We want more. Who's paying the bill for all of that? You and I are. American taxpayers are. They don't care. They don't care. They can just continue to keep raising taxes, getting a blank check. That's what they want to do. Give us a blank check and we'll vote on a few things, a few of them anyway, in your favor. But don't tell us how to run the government. We're going to do that. And we're going to do it, by the way, with impunity, just like we have been for the last two and a half years. When playing football, you run up to 120
0: pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners.
8: Starbucks via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only Instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black-flavoured lattes and iced coffee.
3: Do you mind? I was in a good place, and the world changed.
7: Daily uncertainties became huge struggles.
3: I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us.
7: It's okay to not feel fine.
3: Small
1: things each day go a long
7: way.
3: Make time for
0: you. Take
4: care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorized by the Queensland Government, Brisbane.
1: Let me tell you, there's something new for everybody to get aware of. Oh, my gosh, it's another thing coming down out of the Biden administration, not just the Biden administration, coming down from the left. And that means the left. Anybody that is in the left that's not in the Biden administration, something very important, it's already begun to happen. It's the new face of extremism in America. So listen to this. The United Nations and Republicans are watching TRANTIFA, T-R-A-N-T-I-F-A, TRANTIFA, the hard-left transgender activists who flirt with violence to promote their radical agenda. Pull away the black mask, and political extremism has a new face today. We're announcing TRANTIFA. The portmanteau of trans and Antifa is exactly what you would expect. Far-left transgender activists who are willing to intimidate, harass, and even use violence to advance their radical new ideas about gender. Much like Antifa, they're not a formal group of card-carrying members, with the term Trantifa coined on social media to highlighting strong transgender presence within the anarchist outlet. So-called TRANTIFA members are a small group of trans activists that are on the edge of the movement who post angry rhetoric online and they gather at different types of rallies. UN investigator Reem Al-Salem told DailyMail.com screaming trans activists were a worrying and increasing trend that must be tackled. Julio Rosas, an author who recently testified to House lawmakers about leftist extremism, he talks about a series of trans-extremist incidents like trans shooter Audrey Hale's bloody rampage in that Christian elementary school up in Nashville. Trans-activists gravitate toward these very far-left groups because they share their anarcho-communist type of ideology, Rosas said. They view the U.S. as systemically racist, that it's subjugated queer people, and that states passing laws against child mutilations is part of a transgenocide. They're fighting back. He described a radicalized group of trans activists concentrated on the east and west Coast. They coordinate through messaging apps to stage rallies, confront their rivals, and push their ideas into the mainstream. So what does that mean? Well, we've got Trantifa. They're violent activists, so you would think they would make that list the FBI has when they start labeling any group that they deem to be um, domestic terrorists. So you would think they would put this group in that, right? Well, we we reached out to the FBI, but they declined to comment on whether it is monitoring violent transactivism. Some Republican politicians refer to ever more incidents that make headlines that should be called done by domestic violent activists. In March... If you remember, Audrey Hale shot and killed three kids, three adults, at Nashville's Covenant School. The 28-year-old had started using he, him pronouns and going by the name of Aiden. So cops are still studying the manifesto that Hale left behind. A court's going to decide whether it's going to be made public or not this summer. Former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines was an April punch by a trans woman activist at San Francisco State University after she made a speech, and the speech was against allowing female trans athletes to compete in women's sports. You remember that? Riley Gaines, she stepped out there, and she's speaking her mind. I got a lot of respect for her for what she's done. In May, U.S. cyclist Hannah Ahrensman revealed she'd quit the sport. Why? She was harassed over her opposition to competing against biological males, including by members of the John Brown Gun Club, a pro-trans Antifa group. You can't make this stuff up. People on the left, they get coordinated. They get together. They make these groups. Conservatives, meantime... We just believe what we're supposed to believe and hope it all comes true. Meanwhile, trans women increasingly post online Trantifa videos about armed self defense. TikTok creator Tara J shared a menacing video clip with her 2,400 followers about using guns against anybody who dares to stop me from going into the women's bathroom. It'll be the last mistake you ever make, she warned in the now-deleted post in which she urged LGBTQ people to get guns themselves. Likewise, a blogger named Kayla Dinker, a trans woman, posted footage of herself toting a military-style weapon, warning any transphobes who come for me. She later said she advocates for nonviolent self-defense. That looked like it online. So, Trantifa activists use the acronym, everybody's got one now, TERF, T E R F, to disparage their opponents as trans exclusionary radical feminists. They frequently threaten TERFs with violence on social media and wear Punch a TERF t shirts. Other shirts sold online say trans rights or else alongside images of guns. Al Salim, a U.N. special rapporteur, is tasked with monitoring violence against women and girls globally. She said women who speak up for women-only sports contests, bathrooms, or prisons face harassment or worse. She threw her weight behind Riley Gaines who she said was ambushed and hit by screaming trans activists in San Francisco after she spoke out against biological males competing in females-only sports. This is an increasing trend that I have been observing, Al Salim said. Officials in the U.S. and other Western countries that are affected by this problem must ensure that the freedom of speech and thought, including on the issues of sex, gender, and gender identity be protected and upheld. I just don't see anything wrong with that. The National Center for Transgender Equality and other trans campaign groups, they don't answer to any request for comment that we've been able to find. They say trans people are more often victims of rape, beatings, and other violence than they are perpetrators. Again, no stats to back up that allegation. The Human Rights Campaign, America's biggest LBGTQ group this week, declared a state of emergency for members of the community. Kelly Robinson, the group's president, described a tidal wave of increased homophobia and transphobia that was forcing families to uproot their lives, flee their homes, in search of safer states. Erin Reed is a prominent trans campaigner. She says trans people face genocide, pointing to many bills that Republicans are pushing through state legislatures this year, outlawing puberty blockers for trans kids and other measures. The legislative assault seeks to remove us from public life, remove all legal protections. Remove our changed children from parents. Remove their medically necessary care. That's a tweet from Reed. It will kill people. Reed is like most trans campaigners, powerfully, very powerfully argues for trans rights, but does not advocate for violence. Rosas, the author of Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, said Trantifa operates on the fringes of the same movement. Rosas says he encountered many trans activists among the Antifa groups that he monitored during the racial justice protests back in the summer of 2020. He relayed his experiences to members of the House Homeland Security Committee at a hearing on left-wing violence last month. To put Antifa in context... We spoke to the old school feminists who have been ideologically opposed to trans activists for decades and seen some turn into a more hardline, even militant group. And the reason I'm doing this and, and giving you this extensive information, you need to understand this is brand new, but it's not brand new. These people have been motivated and are being and have been operating doing these things for more than two years now. It's just been hidden from the American people. April Morrow, a disabled 58-year-old woman, is one of these activists. She says she was attacked by a 27-year-old trans woman activist at a feminist rally she arranged in Tacoma, Washington in October. The feminists were pelted with eggs and pies The masked attackers wrenched protest banners from their hands and then ran away. There, trans activists encircled the feminists, who were totally outnumbered. Her attacker, a young trans woman, came out of nowhere and grabbed my hand as she filmed the chaos on her cell phone. The activists wrenched Morrow's wrist, pushed her to the ground. It hurt and the injury has kept her out of work, she said. The incident was captured on video Police arrested the attacker who may face assault charges. And the cases of this just go on and on and on. And it's just one more thing that we got to deal with. One more thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You want another one? You know, it looks like um, Joe Biden's college debt plan is toast, at least the one he put out there, with all the details about how most almost everybody that had any kind of college debt was going to get it repaid by the American taxpayers. Courts came back and said, nope, that's not going to fly, but it's before the Supreme Court this week and next week if it goes that long. We don't know when, but we are expecting some determination to come out from the Supreme Court very shortly. But you know what? Even if the Supreme Court says that Joe Biden doesn't have the authority to bypass Congress to spend trillions of tax dollars, and they don't have the right, it has to come through. Any kind of spending program like this has to come through Congress. We just don't know what's going to happen there. But Biden, he's got another plan. You know old Joseph. When he's beaten down in one area, he just jumps right back. And he's got another plan if the Supreme Court kicks the old plan out, another plan to make it work.
3: Forgive and forget. That may be out of the question for the White House after President Biden is reportedly prepping a backup plan with the expectation his $400 billion student loan handout plan will get shot down later this month by the Supreme Court. Here to react is Kerry Severino, president (sighs) of JCN. Kerry, great to see you. So uh, what do you expect? It looks like the Biden administration is preparing for the Supreme Court to strike down the program. Is that what you expect from the Supreme Court?
6: Uh, I think that based on the arguments, that seems likely. It was it was a clear majority of the justices who recognized this this plan for what it is, a real power grab by the executive branch to try to just disburse money from the Treasury without Congress having allowed it to. Now, the Congress did say in a state of emergency following 9-11 that you could try to make people whole by by helping uh, modify student debt terms uh, in the in the wake of an emergency. But what they've done here is so much beyond what that statute contemplated. At the time they argued it, they thought it was only going to cost only going to cost four hundred billion dollars. Now, estimates are up to 100, one hundred a trillion dollars now because, People are going to behave logically and take out extra extra loans. Mm -hmm. I think the Supreme Court realizes uh, that's not actually what the Constitution allows. The only question in my mind is is whether they'll say that these are the right people to bring the case. It's kind of an in the weeds issue, but whether the particular people bringing this case have standing or not, even Mm -hmm. if they don't, I think the plan itself is ultimately doomed legally one way or the other.
3: Here's just a reminder. The student loan plan by President Biden suggests 43 million people are eligible, up to 20,000 in debt relief, 400 billion, as you mentioned, in total. Uh, Congress has the power of the purse. I guess the question is, you know, the the question of one of emergency. Can can an executive do this in a in a in a moment of an emergency? But they've already said the pandemic is over. Right. They said that emergency is over. So have undercut their own their own argument.
6: Yeah, it's emergency when they want it to be and not when they don't. If they're talking about the border, they say, "Oh, that's not an emergency." If they're talking about student debt relief, they're saying it is. But it also, you know, the statute says you can make people whole, and this is something Justice Gorsuch brought up in the arguments. This is going way beyond making people whole. This is not just making up for you know the time that it was hard to pay when everything was shut down. This is saying you get free rides here and that's something it, you know it's kind of telling the president was promising this mm-hmm. long before he decided to use covid as his excuse all
3: so right. so he's
6: been, he wants to do this for a long time it's not just about covid
3: all right carrie severino thank you so much we'll be watching
6: thank
1: there's the biden way to govern just forget about the law forget about what you're supposed to do and just because you're i'm joe biden i get to do anything i want to do that ain't true <laughs> That's the bottom line. Well, guess what? That's going to wrap the show today. We've actually gone over a little bit, but that's okay because we've been communicating with you. Don't forget, next Monday, 9 o'clock sharp, Dr. Judy Mikovits. she comes back. She's the doctor that before the pandemic predicted on this show exactly what Dr. Fauci was going to sell the American people we had to do. And she told us they were going to make it mandatory. She hit the nail on the head dozens of times. But she'll be back with us next Monday morning at 9 o'clock Central Sharp. So make your plans to do that. We're also, after the show right now, we're going to post on today's story that will include the TNN Live podcast. Down at the bottom, there will be three links that I want you to grab. Pandemic. Excuse me, not pandemic, plandemic. Plandemic, and then the second is plandemic two. The third is plandemic three. These are documentaries that contain tons of facts and truths about what we live through and what, according to Dr. Mykovitz, the government's gonna do again. We've had a great Monday, always. Thank you for being here. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here at TNN Live. See you then.
2: I can reminisce about it already. I can.